The failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista, Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins, and for the newbies, this is the only podcast of its kind that will give you the real lowdown on all the major environmental stories alongside some honest and qualified opinion. Many have tried, few have succeeded. Our man in the hot seat each week, of course, is Dale Vinsdale, is an entrepreneur and environmentalist. He built his success in the green energy sector and is the owner of Ecotricity. And for the uninitiated, that's the world's first green energy company. He also happens to be the owner of Forest Green Rovers. On each episode, we'll bring you the dominating issues from the biggest agenda on the planet right now, uh, the environment and climate change. Dale, morning to you. Morning, Ian. Interesting. We've been on this territory before, and I thought it was quite a good place to start. COVID drives record record emissions drop in 2020 and it's kind of a double-edged sword this because you know we don't want to celebrate covid but there is a curious positive upshot of the effects of the lockdown yeah i've got mixed feelings about it we did look at it before as you say and you know there was a there was a decent drop in emissions and because it makes sense doesn't it because the you know we've had a couple of lockdowns big reduction in traffic particularly air traffic yeah uh, and that kind of stuff and we know these are the kinds of things that we have to do to fight the climate crisis but much less so do you know what i mean we don't need a lockdown to fight the climate crisis we just need to adapt our behavior and our consumption it's easily within our capabilities to do that so maybe what this shows is is that you know there is a direct link uh, you know between our uh, the way we live and uh, and emissions pollution in, including carbon dioxide mm. yeah i mean you're aware of the kind of well, I suppose you could call it a conspiracy theory, um, which is that... <laughs> which the, one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, the amount of times the name Bill Gates comes up on our radio shows, if this is the, the Antichrist who works for the Illuminati, apparently, <laughs> from a secret cave in South America, concocting his wicked plans to vaccinate us all and kill off half the world. It, it's just, if it, if it wasn't such, you know, sinister and dubious accusations, we just sort of laugh at it, but some people... Our fellow humanoids actually believe this stuff, Dale, which is uh, extraordinary. But there is a the theory around uh, the green agenda, and I don't know what you think about this as an, a lifelong environmentalist, is that this outfit called the World Economic Forum, the NGO that has you know a thousand of the biggest companies as its members, they meet in Davos, and apparently they also concoct plans to take over the world. And uh, one of those plans is that coronavirus was either invented artificially or it's been inflated in order to bring in by the back door lots of uh, environmental policies which will uh, leave the rest of us uh, slave to the agenda and the agenda being if you don't run with this the world's going to die what do you make of that yeah it's just it's just more craziness isn't it um you know, the environment agenda attracts the same kind of conspiracy theories that it's either not real or it's being exaggerated and it's all uh, some attempt and an anti kind of liberal or libertarian takeover of, uh, you know, our human rights to pollute and do do what the hell we want to the planet. You know, we, we see that around the environment crisis and the environment movement. So I'm not surprised to see it conflated with uh, the, yeah. the virus crisis as well. 
But is it likely to accelerate change the the way that countries approach environmental issues? And I'm tempted to say that the you know this conspiracy theory is is, is clearly bollocks because otherwise you wouldn't be on here every week uh, moaning about the lack of action from our government if supposedly there's some grand plan being cooked up elsewhere around the world that all governments are uh, in a slavish way adhering to then we wouldn't be having these conversations because you'd be giving the thumbs up to Johnson every week. Yeah I guess I might be yeah I mean I'm more tempted to give the finger to Johnson than the thumb up but uh, look I've been doing this for 25 years and the you know the climate crisis has has been emerging into our consciousness and and into terms of uh, you know scientific basis has, has been around for that for 20 30 years now and these these conspiracy theories are just just new they're just recent but they're just another reason for some people not to act i was on the radio uh, in the last few days in talk radio and uh, i was uh, kind of debating with a guy from the institute of economic affairs and i always thought that just from the name, that was a serious body of, you know, kind of intellectual people. Oh, they're good at that. They're good at the names. Yeah, Aren't they amazing? And then this guy, it transpires as he starts talking, is like um, pro-coal, anti-climate crisis, anti-electric cars, and I just couldn't believe it. I thought, oh my God, this is an organization of nutters basically dressed up with a a kind of professional sounding name. And I think this is what we're facing in the world today, just – a whole bunch of nutters masquerading as serious people and conspiracy theories masquerading as serious theories. And and all of it is a distraction from what it is that we know that we need to do, which is fight the climate crisis and actually change how we live. You know, we need to live more sustainably. The virus crisis itself is a result of unsustainable living. Uh, Here's a question from Richard, who says, what do you make of the new mega EV charging station in Braintree? Uh, Do you have similar plans for the electric highway. This is a huge story this week. Well, I say huge story. It's one of those stories that's, that's big in its own world, but perhaps <laughs> didn't get the headlines it should have done. Yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's a lovely story. Uh, grid server have opened something called the Electric Forecourt, which is a kind of electric uh, petrol station, if you like. Something we first uh, conceived of on a blog site about 10 years ago, the idea of it, what petrol stations of the future might look like. And, um, you know, I like what they've done. They put in a whole bunch of high-powered uh, chargers in a location somewhere in Essex. I'm not quite sure where it is, but uh, I hope it goes well for them. And, yeah, we do have the same plans, uh, or rather plans for the same chargers, high-powered chargers. We're putting the first ones into rugby right now six of them they're 350 kilowatt capable machines which is just incredible wow. you know we currently have 50 kilowatt machines uh, and they were state-of-the-art three four years ago and when we began we began with three kilowatts 10 years ago on the motorway so we've just come an awful long way in 10 years in the ev sector which i think is is amazing and and right now we've got people like GridServe, instavol all sorts of people in britain building uh, charging infrastructure which is just mm. fantastic going in the right direction um let's have a listen to this my name is greta thunberg and i'm inviting you to be a part of the solution five years ago world leaders signed the paris agreement and they promised to keep the global average temperature rise to well below two degrees celsius and to pursue 1.5 degrees to safeguard future living conditions. But the action needed is still nowhere in sight. Greta Thunberg, of course, there. Um, You've always spoke positively about this young lady, Dale. Yeah, absolutely. I think what she's done is amazing. Uh, And what she does is amazing. Uh, I sent her a copy of my book, actually, a couple of weeks ago. 
because nice. I think that chapter 13 has got something in there that really interested because uh, what we need are, are concrete policy outcomes, uh, you know, to solve this crisis. I mean, she's right. A lot of the promises are empty. The deadlines are too far away. I mean, 2050, who dreamt that one up? You know, for example, she's right about that. And we need more concrete action. But what we need to be able to tell uh, politicians is exactly what we want them to do. In, yeah. the, in the sectors of energy, transport, and food, the kind of changes to subsidies and taxes that we want. The specifics of that are in Chapter 13 of my book, and I hope that she finds something useful in there that she can uh, pick up and run with. Yeah, and her point really is that this has got to come from the people if the politicians are ineffective and inactive, as she suggests, then you know, kind of people power will, will win over. Yeah. Or has to win. Yeah, I see three sectors of society active in this, people, business, and government. And there's a big change in the outlook of people, a rising concern about the climate crisis and stuff like that. We're seeing businesses adapt to that. They're making stuff that people are demanding that is lower impact. We're talking plant-based food, for example, electric cars, green energy, that kind of stuff. And we're seeing an, an actual reaction from government as well in terms of adopting stances, policies, and making promises and stuff. But as she says, a lot of that is inadequate. And and I tend, I think that governments tend to follow, not lead. And so our job as people uh, is to show governments and businesses exactly what we want uh, so that businesses produce the products and governments produce the policies. But the people with the big levers of power, they absolutely are the governments, the politicians. They can make the big changes we need. And it's about taxes, subsidies, and regulations. It's about what we're allowed to do, what we're not allowed to do, and what we must do. Governments set those rules. Okay, here's a question from Gemma on Twitter. How does it feel to be called a genius by the Daily Mirror? <laughs> I didn't well, see this. Oh, did you not? Yeah, I saw it. And uh, it, made, it made me laugh. It's, it's a first to be called a genius, at least at least in print anyway. Um, it's, been, it's been said to before. But, you know, I was kind of like uh, bemused, amused, mildly flattered, um, but happy to be in front of that audience, a tabloid audience, albeit left wing rather than right wing. And it, this was about about my outlook on transport, uh, you mm-hmm. know, what the roads are going to look like in 10 years time. Just a very short piece about what we've done in the last 10 years from building the Nemesis to the electric highway and that kind of stuff. I'm not sure if it touched on Sky Diamonds or not, but um, but yeah, it was it was fun is my answer. I was I was uh, amused to see that. Are you going to put that on the side of your car? <laughs> I'm going to get on a Gen- T-shirt. <laughs> Gen- yeah, genius. And then underneath Daily Mirror. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, here's a story that feeds into something that we we talk about an awful lot, and that is the responsibility of rich countries uh, o- over poor countries in that respect. Rich countries will miss key promises they made to the poor world on the climate crisis by failing to provide money necessary to cope with its effects. You could almost write this stuff, couldn't you? We could have written that headline a year ago that, you know, we'll be back here talking about this and people won't have done what their uh, their moral obligations suggest they should have done. Yeah, you know, I saw the headline and I didn't read the article because, as you say, there's like nothing going on here. Read the headline, you, you know that it's always been like this. Um, yep. So nothing's changed. Yeah, I'm, I, I just shrugged and moved on. Uh, we can do that uh, with with a question. With a question for well, it's worth a shrug. I mean, it is a, a shrug, and it's an intake of breath. And you know, we know what the speech bubble above our heads is uh, is saying. Dean on Facebook says, um, "Now this is reference uh, boilers." Uh, you and I talked about this um, mm. on the radio this week, of course. Yeah. Um, 
Dean says, making us all pay £8,000 for a green boiler is ludicrous. Perhaps they should tax rich people like you, Dale, so we can all benefit. There you go. He's, th- <laughs> he's thrown it right back at you, Dale. Yeah, I love it. So this was a story, was it from the um, Times, I think? And they said, yeah, actually, Britons are going to have to stump up £8,000 each because of government policies to ban gas boilers and stuff like this. A wonderful piece of kind of uh, journalistic license when you read the article itself and the story that was actually behind it. The £8,000 cost is going to be incurred over the next 30 years. So that's actually 250 quid a year. And it's not just about boilers, it's about rising, uh, raising sorry, the energy efficiency levels of homes as well. So there's a whole raft of measures to lower the emissions from our homes. But in the process of doing that, we lower our energy consumption and our energy bills. And there's a net benefit to doing that. So it was a kind of a confected headline meant to shock people and make them angry about uh, you know costs being imposed on them from the green agenda, really, which we talked about earlier, Ian. And, and it was basically fake. I don't want to say fake news, but maybe we can start using that term you know, once the orange man is uh, consigned to the uh, dustbin of history. He's going nowhere. Have you not, <laughs> have you not keeping up with this, Dale? He's, he's still not going anywhere. He's not, well, he, he will be. He will be. He's the official president. it's just so funny to watch this happen it is but the other thing i wanted to say of course is that uh, we don't have to um give up gas completely we can make gas from grass we set out a a plan for doing that that shows there's enough grass in britain on marginal land to power all of our homes from gas we can create seventy thousand jobs in the rural economy save the burning of six or seven billion pounds worth of fossil gas every year create vast new areas of wildlife and produce genuinely carbon neutral gas here in britain we've become gas independent in the process so this is a great example of what the green economy can do for us. And it's unfortunate when you have a newspaper like the Times highlighting this this fake negative that it's going to cost £8,000 each, which, by the way, is exactly what's been spent this year per household just by our government to fight the, the virus crisis. And, and that's not the cost that we've borne ourselves as well through redundancies and business failures. That's just the amount of money that the government themselves have spent. I think it's really unfortunate to try to uh, paint this picture to people that the green agenda costs money when actually what it does is provide us with a completely different future. But there you go. And if you kind of do the maths, you know, whip out your trusty abacus, you know, I think an eight-year-old could work out that, you know, if you fast forward this over just a, a ve- relatively small amount of years, then the the benefits are are not just tangible in the sense of, you know, we breathe better the air and everything about the planet is mm. in a more positive state, but actually uh, the whole thing is, 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 is cheaper ultimately anyway. You raise a good point there. You know, if we were faced with the option of paying £8,000 to have a planet we could live on or not, are we really going to say, what, you want £8,000? <laughs> Are we really yeah. going to say that? I, I don't think so. I mean, it was, it's a tiny cost, actually, but it's spread over 30 years anyway, and um, it will save us more money than it costs us, as well as give us a planet that we can live on. So the whole, the whole argument is just, it's just bullshit, really. Uh, but that's what, <laughs> you know, that's what we face, isn't it? You know, this... that, that should also go on the T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It might, might turn into a long T-shirt. Yeah, nothing wrong. Well, st- sticking with is a nice uh, move into a clothing feature. 
We are just weeks away, of course, from the festive season, Dale. And I saw this story that Christmas jumpers are bad for the planet. Not Christmas T-shirts. Christmas jumpers (laughs) are bad for the planet. Well, I think Christmas is bad for the planet, I have to say, because it's just a period of hyper-consumption, isn't it? You know, when everybody eats and drinks too much we buy a load of shit for people that they don't really want and never use and we receive Mm. a load of shit in return that we don't really want and never use and and you know it's just one massive commercial binge uh, which is why retailers love it of course and why government think it's so important to our economy and and stuff like that but environmentally it's a nightmare of course not not least to the you know millions of turkeys that give their lives for christmas not willingly i should say no, true. I don't think anybody ever volunteered for that uh, that particular role. <laughs> that <gig>. um, this <laughs> is <laughs> it's called fashion landfill. I never really thought about this, but you know, people exchange these jumpers and they buy it across the planet, millions of them, mm. and then come January, they go, "We don't want that. We throw it away." That's so right. buried under planet Earth um, yeah. amidst the chaos that is several billion tons of white goods and Lord knows what else. Yeah, uh, several cards, billion tons Christmas cards, wrapping and Christmas paper, jump, wrapping paper, yeah. all of that caper. My good. Bah humbug. <laughs> <laughs> what a miserable pair of bastards we are, aren't we? <laughs> I'm having a hard day today. I think that's what it is. No, nothing wrong with that. And this comes from Cassie on Facebook. Says, uh, I really enjoyed your Facebook live streams. Have you got any more coming up over Christmas? Yeah, I think we're going to try and squeeze one in before Christmas. We were, we were trying to do, uh, well, we've got two or three in the pipe uh we're talking about doing one with john snow one with lucy siegel and and possibly one with guy watson and i'm just not quite sure what order they're going to come in but uh yeah definitely i'm enjoying them as well actually good work and that is it dale we'll um we'll speak next week nice one thank you Ian. have a cracking week that's it for this episode don't forget of course you can subscribe for free from your podcast provider uh essentially that means you get every single new episode automatically we always like you to leave a review there as well and let us know what you think and if you want to get in touch with the podcast you can do it through the usual social media methods or of course email zero carbonista at ecotricity.co.uk uh, the important bit of course is to follow dale on social media twitter.com slash dale vince facebook.com slash dale vince i'm on instagram now as well our instagram too yeah Thanks. as of this week yeah fantastic search dale vince on instagram too zero carbon east off